It's very grandiose. Like, and they were not they were not subtle about any of it. Like the elevating platform well, of three judges. judges. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I saw three. First of all, uh, full disclosure: I think Jeff's seen the whole season. I've yeah. seen three episodes. I watched the first episode from Mexico. Then I watched the Thanksgiving episode, which is about America. Go America! And then the final episode because I wanted to see you win. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert again. Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, Editor-in-Chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously, of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms, It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. Food Beast family, after spending 12 years serving in practically every back-of-house position imaginable, including Chef de Cuisine at Thomas Keller's The French Laundry, our guest... Chef Tim- Timothy Hollingsworth opened the restaurant Odium in Los Angeles in 2015, where you might have seen our coverage of his foie gras funnel cake. Mm. Mm. Eli, spoiler alert, mm. he's also the recently crowned winner of the Netflix series The Final Table, where he beat 23 lauded chefs from around the world. Mm-hmm. He's recently opened fried chicken shop CJ Boyd's and the Barcade Free Play at the Fields Los Angeles. Chef Tim, welcome to the catch-up. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Damn. I still vote that Tim just redoes that intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most... Me- I, I like your voice a lot, Jeff, but Tim's voice Tim, is gravelly and milky all at once. I know we just <laughs> met, but it's just a super sexy voice. Like, it's a... <laughs> I'm going. The first thing I'm going to listen to the podcast is listen to how stringy my voice is, and then listen to Tim say thank you for having me. <laughs> it's going to be like all downhill. My sinus infection. <laughs> Damn. Well, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. That thank show. You. That show was pretty. I, I just. I binged it, which is like a Netflix thing to do. We don't yeah. have to go too deep in the show real quick because I know I'm, I'm so giddy. But yeah, uh, we like Eli and I talked before the show, and we were. We have so many questions about final table, but then at the same time, we also like don't want to just get straight into final table because, I mean, it's a pretty new show, and I feel like s- streaming's pretty crazy because this is our water cooler talk because we couldn't talk over break. Yeah, like about so, it Eli yet. and I, we've been texting, but we haven't seen each other over the holiday break, and the way we grew up watching shows was week to week. Oh yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. You would watch whatever episode of Top Chef or whatever it was, and then Convenient you'd have the a chance cooler. to like, yeah, go Next to the day. water cooler, yeah. Yeah. talk about it. And now we were talking about the just the sheer organization of if Eli and myself are on the same page episode wise, yeah. without spoiling, mm-hmm. without talking about something that they don't have context. It's I mean, it's first world problems for sure, <laughs> yeah. but it's it, it's really interesting to me because it's a totally different dynamic, and and now we're talking about the yeah, show. Yeah, let's, let's 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 talk about Tim for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but before before we go into the, you had mentioned actually 
on the final table that your family didn't come from a lot of money. What was your upbringing like and how did it affect your approach toward food, at least in the early days and maybe still till today? Yeah, I mean, I don't think <clears throat> I don't think I really realized uh, how it affected me, like growing up and whatnot. I think it was after I had been working at the French Laundry for years before I, before I like really appreciated and understood what I had learned growing up. But my family, um, I was born in Houston, Texas. And then when I was like in second grade, my family moved out to California. Um, my dad did construction and he um, out here was, you know, there was a lot of commercial construction opportunity. So he's out here building like Longstrugs, Kmart's, all those kinds of big uh, complexes. And, um, you know, we, we lived in a two bedroom house. There was five kids and uh, my mom and dad. And um, eventually my dad built the house that we grew up in. And, and still when I go home, that's the house that I go to. Um, but yeah, we didn't come from a lot of money, but the, the one thing that we always had was like going to school and whatnot. My mom would, my mom would make our school lunch every single day from like, the time I can remember as early as I can remember until I graduated high school. Um, and then she always, she was a stay at home mom. So she would, you know, we would have the stuff like chicken and dumplings, chili, um, a lot of Tex-Mex style food, um, tacos every week, like just, you know, Sunday pot roast, all that kind of stuff. So it was cool. But what were you doing as a kid? Were you like, did you care about cooking at all? Or were you just like, you know what? This, my mom's food is good. I'm good. I'm gonna go do other stuff. Did no, the skateboarding I mean, had- start early too? Yeah, I skated. You know, I started skating when I was probably in fifth grade, snowboarding and skating, um, pretty young. Um, but it was just like bombing down hills in, in my backyard. It was it snowed like five feet where where we grew up near Lake Tahoe. So um, I grew up doing doing that, playing sports in the streets and stuff like that. But riding motorcycles, all that kind of stuff. So I was always always very active. But and my dad was my dad was a really hard worker, and he made. I mean, I worked with them since I was like six, in sixth grade. So every weekend we'd go and we'd work and we'd do like remodeling in people's houses or what whatnot. So my dad was like constantly training me to do that. And then at home, if my mom was making dinner, we all had chores. So if it's like, you know, somebody had to set the table, somebody had to help my mom prep the food, somebody had to help clean up. So I, I later learned that and appreciated the time around that table as like, this is a time where my family's all together. And that wasn't, that wasn't something that I... I mean, it's just like normal. It's just life growing up, right? And then later on down the road, you realize like, oh, that was that was actually a really important thing. Was there a specific trigger point when you looked <clears throat> at construction and what your dad was doing, and as much as you respected it, said, you know, this isn't this isn't for me. Going down a different path. Yeah, I mean, working with my dad was really tough. Actually, he's uh, he's very like he's very very disciplined guy, and um, he's a perfectionist and. Um, he would, you know, he was, it was honestly very, very tough to work for. Um, so I was, I was trying to get out of like working with him. Um, and I ended up getting a job that was, uh, as a dishwasher and what happened to be the best restaurant in in my hometown. Did you know, did you know anything about that restaurant or were you just trying to get a job that was not with your dad? Just not with my, like my brother-in-law worked in high school and, you know, started as a dishwasher, worked his way up and then, um, would go to his normal job nine to five on, you know, on the weekdays. And then on the weekends he would work, he'd go in and he'd help cook. Um, he's like, Hey, I can get you a job here. It's just like small country French restaurant. And he's like, um, he's like, I can get you a job as a dishwasher if you want. I said, sure, I'll go check it out. So on my 18th birthday, I started working there. Do you think that's fate that you became a dishwasher 
at like the best French restaurant around in, in the area or, you know, if you're a dishwasher at any other restaurant, is your career drastically different? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what... I mean, there's certain circumstances in life that have like got me to to be where I am and have developed the opportunities. I think it's choosing to take those opportunities, and it's a little serendipitous, but it's like, you know, I I chose to I chose to work at this restaurant, right? And then I chose to work at the French Laundry, and I said, this is where I'm going to work. And because of those choices, um, it's gotten me to be where I am today. So it's a lot of it. I think is right time, right place, and luck, um, but also just you know making the decision i think that's the hardest part so our foobies audience at home is kind of like me there's there's we have the the high-end people <coughs> who know the french laundry swear by it and then we have the people at home who may not know what the hell the french laundry is can you give us in a couple senses why the french laundry is so important what it is yeah i mean i think the french laundry is um i mean Thomas Keller is probably the most influential chef of his generation. Um, probably the most celebrated American chef to ever live. Um, he's incredible. He's done amazing things for the industry. And um, just his message and his integrity from day one has just been incredible. Um, and it was an amazing opportunity to work there. I mean, he's he's still a, a, an amazing mentor. He's still an amazing um, chef. And, you know, I, I, I'm, fortunate, I'm fortunate enough to see him you know, still six or seven times a year, um, which is nice. Because um, I, spent, I mean, we spent a long time working together. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So at, at the French Laundry, is that something where were you staging? You, did you earn a position like on the roster right away? What was your transition from uh, or transition into the French Laundry like? Um, I was like, I was young. I was kind of arrogant and naive and Basically, I uh, I flew myself out to to New York and uh, went to spend a week at the Culinary Institute of America. Um, realized that that wasn't for me, and I was gonna either I was gonna work for the best. I was gonna work for either Thomas Keller or Ducasse. And I was like, oh, I'll work for Thomas Keller. He's close by, whatever. So I was like, I'll go in, turn in my resume after I eat dinner, talk to the chef. So I made a reservation, um, went in, made sure he was gonna be there, turned in my resume. He gave me his business card, said, Yeah, give me a call, whatever. I'm sure he's done that to like how many kids, right? <laughs> And uh, finally, he's like, uh, I call and I call and I call and I call. And he's like, okay, like, come try out for a position. And then I call and call and call and call. And then finally, I get a letter in the mail that said I've been hired. Wow. Yeah. I, I know you mentioned verbally you call and you call and you call. But how, how many calls do you think you, you were actually placing, like, from a realistic perspective? Because that's one of the things I really like diving into with guests is we can talk about the past in a summary of a sentence and – that's fine, and you get kind of the gist, but I kind of want to be there in the room that you, when you're dialing. Is that like a daily occurrence over weeks? Is it days? I, I don't. I don't. What it's, is that? It's definitely weeks. It's longer. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a long time. Um, what's crazy today is like there's a lot of there's a lot of kids that'll come and they want to work for me now, and it's like, you know, they they're like, oh, I sent in my resume. It's like. Like congratulations! <laughs> yeah. Like I like called every single day to get a job. Like if you want to work someplace, you know, like oh, I sent my, I sent you my resume. You never replied. Well, you know, like okay, like try try harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just try. Yeah, just try in general, right? So I mean, I called and I called and I called and I called. I called so much. I don't remember how many times I called or how long a period of time it was, but I can tell you that I called so much that I would not leave my name anymore. 
And because <laughs> they would be like, he's not, he's not, he's not there anymore. Or he's not like, hey, is Chef Thomas there? No, he's not in. Can I, you know, can you want to leave your your name for a message? I was like, uh, no, I'll just call back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, so you went to New York specifically to try out culinary school to go to culinary school to see if i like culinary school okay and so you and you left pretty abruptly so what's your thoughts and opinions on culinary school now and does it have a weight on the same people the same guy or gal that said hey i sent you my resume does it matter if that resume has culinary school you know listed does not matter to me at all at all at all period um I don't even, I don't know. I don't, not nothing against culinary schools, but I think people learn differently. And I think that while I'm not going to sit here and say people shouldn't go to culinary school, it's very expensive. And I'm not sure what you're going to, you know, if you, if you need that structure to learn the curriculum, then you should go to culinary school. Going back, would I go to culinary school again? I would not. There's no way. Um, And I'm happy I didn't go to culinary school. I'm happy I didn't have the debt from going to culinary school. But the one thing that I wish I would have done is, is gone to business school. I think that that would have been helpful because that part of the that part of the restaurant now is you know is is a lot of what I do. So um, and it's been a learning process and and luckily I like you know kind of natural and, and gravitate towards those and I'm good with numbers and stuff like that. But but ultimately, if I had gone to school for that, I think I would be more prepared now. Do you think that's where a lot of chefs coming up? kind of stumble when they want to open their own restaurant is they actually they might be a dope chef they might be able to put good food on the table but they literally have no freaking clue what to do financially how to own your own business i've known so many chefs that come to me like hey i'm opening up my own restaurant i'm like damn that's huge man where'd you get the money for like what do you mean and then they're basically they're a chef that has created a menu for a restaurant and they have this weird tie to the restaurant like absolutely be proud of the menu you created but there's there's that lack of business sense when you say that because you actually don't own anything. No. And that is scary. So I appreciate you saying that the business side of it, because it's what no knock on those chefs, but like it, it's what's setting you apart mm-hmm. from a lot of chefs. And a lot of chefs that are succeeding is as they're taking that business acumen that they either learned or just just had. You had that yeah. skill set in you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe it was watching your dad kind of put his stuff together. Who knows where it came from? Because mm-hmm. then you, right at 18, you just started working. I mean, yeah. you're working earlier than that. Yeah. But I think that's so important, like in the restaurant industry, is just understanding the business side it's, of it. I mean, there's a lot of people, even even now, it's like, as a young chef, I was like, okay, I want to own my own restaurant. I had no idea what that meant. Like, it's crazy to own your own restaurant. It's crazy to get business partners and to go through that cycle. I've, you know, I've had really bad experiences with it. Um, and good experiences, obviously with OTM and whatnot, but like, um, it's, it's not an easy thing and it's stuff that like, you know, it's making the menu is like the smallest thing. Cooking is like the smallest thing. You know, that's, that's like the easy part. Now it's, now it's, uh, figuring out, you know, how you pay employees. We have 130 employees at OTM. That's a lot of people. That's insane. That's a lot of people. Yeah. So what, you were at French Laundry 10 years? Uh, 12. 12 years. Yeah. So what was that like? In a nutshell, and then why did you leave? It was amazing. I mean, it was just you know people people often ask why did you you know why did you choose to stay at a restaurant like that for so long? And I said, well, two reasons. One is that I was able to influence the menu from a twenty one year old. You know, I was twenty one years old at the French Laundry on online, and I was coming up with dishes. 
to put on in my menu. Yes, somebody was helping me. Yes, somebody was guiding me. But if I said like, okay, with the applause, I want to do leeks, hazelnuts, and truffles. Okay, how are we going to do it? Like, you know, like they helped me come up with what that dish was um, and understand flavor profiles and how to and how to create that. So from a very young age, you're able to do that. And there's still, there's a lot of restaurants where you can go right now and you can work you know, even, even as a sous chef and not put a, you know, not put anything on the menu. So to be able to do that from like 21 years old on, um, was a pretty incredible opportunity. And I think that the other thing is I traveled a lot and we would, we would have vacations we'd close two weeks into uh, winter time and one week into summer. And I would go, you know, abroad and, and study. Um, I'd go to like France and work at, um, Michel Rostang or, uh, Lucas Carton, um, I went to England, worked on Gordon's properties, um, fat duck, just staging for free and like learning, learning what they did. And it was cool to, it was cool to see that, but it was, you know, it was to be very honest with you. I was always very thankful to come home. I was thankful for the way the French laundry was ran, the equipment that we had, the beautiful like garden that we had. It was just like, you know, at the French laundry, if you break the Vita prep, you go to the dry storage and you get another Vita prep because we have a backup. Yeah. You know, it's like. What kind of restaurant does that? You yeah. know, and it's something we try to do at OTM. We're a big restaurant, so it's tough. But you know, we we try to have a little bit of that same culture um, because I was. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I went to like Europe, and it's like you know they're working in a dungeon, and it's like <laughs> the Tammy has a hole in it, and you're like, what is this? You know, it's like I can't believe this. What? So sounds like a great place to work. Yeah, it really was. And so what, what, what changes or what happens in you personally, you're like, you know what, I need to maybe do my own thing now. Or what, what happened towards that end of that tenure? I mean, it was an amazing time, but it was, you know, it's a long time in life and, and I was ready for change. I wanted to do something different. Um, and to be very honest with you, I don't, I don't know what I wanted to do exactly. And I needed, I needed to leave to figure that out. Mm. I knew that I didn't want to. I didn't want to work for Thomas Keller for the rest of my life. You know, he's an amazing person, amazing mentor, but you know, I don't want to, I didn't want to be the guy behind the guy, which is an amazing, that's an amazing position, but I didn't want that. You know, I want, I wanted to be the guy I wanted to be, I wanted to go out and, and try to create my own culture and philosophy and my own food, um, outside of the, the Thomas Keller realm, um, and sort of culture that he has, which is amazing. But you know, like, you know, there's, it's hard to open up your own restaurant, and I wanted that challenge. Tell me about the journey into the culmination of Odium, because <clears throat> one of the reasons I think you're so interesting is the fact that there you're you're a bit younger, but also still went through the full tenure of, of fine dining training, and so you know, based on the new concepts that you're opening as well, there's an understanding of where the consumer is shifting, mm -hmm. how fine dining as a category maybe doesn't have the same growth as it once had. So going more toward, you know, a higher end casual setting. But I'm curious because obviously three Michelin stars, French laundry, what brought you to Los Angeles? What was the journey of figuring out what a restaurant for Tim would be and and how did it culminate in the restaurant that I think a, a lot of our audience will know but not all of it will know Odium and I'm mm -hmm. curious about w you explaining what Odium is. Yeah, I mean the that process was not an easy process. Um 
and the way that I the way that I thought about it is is kind of I think in a very logical way and it was you know they they first asked me to open you know the hey do you want to do this restaurant and I said no I don't want to do I don't want to do it um and I was consulting at the time I was consulting in Los Angeles I consulted in Korea and in Lebanon um and that was kind of a little dry like it wasn't it wasn't extremely rewarding it was amazing to be able to travel but it's like you know you're consulting it's it's not it's not rewarding it's it just you have like one foot in one foot out and it's hard to make a, a huge impact in that um so they asked me again when I got back from one of my trips and I said okay like let me let me hear what this is and they said okay you can you can open a restaurant um from build it from the ground up in downtown Los Angeles like here's an area of town where people are not walking around we want people walking around and like you know, this is Mr. Broad's vision. And, um, and I was like, okay, you know, like, how does this make sense for me? Well, you know, I had left the French Laundry. I wanted, for me, moving to moving to the French Laundry was a big deal. That was, that was the first time of me moving away from home. Like, none of my family members have moved away from home before. So it's like, I'm going in, and, and putting myself in this sort of awkward position. And I wanted to put that, I wanted to put that again. I wanted to feel that, like, I don't know what I'm doing kind of like, cause I, I felt that that brought good things out of me. So, um, with working with the development of OTM and what that meant, it was, it was, it was really about like, okay, where's this restaurant? It's going to be next to a museum during the lunch hours. You're next to the courthouses, a lot of, you know, a lot of business buildings, um, bank, um, law offices, all that kind of stuff. So how do I, how do I appeal to that clientele at night? You're going to have pre-theater in certain times of the year. Other than that, it's going to be a destination because there's nobody that really lives on Bunker Hill. It's like not, and it's it's hard to get around up there. It's like the roads are a little like one way and yeah. you know upper grand, lower grand kind of deal. So um, I really thought about it a lot and came up with a philosophy that that Odium is you know Odium is a restaurant that needs to be a special occasion restaurant, an everyday restaurant, you know, a, a restaurant where people can come downstairs from from you know, the building that, that people that have apartments next door, they can come down and get a roast chicken and beer and like go back up, like something kind of like cheesecake factory. Yes. Like something for everybody was kind of the philosophy. Um, and you know, being next to the museum and, and their partnership and, and that, that art that they have there was important for me to, sh you know, to have a beautiful restaurant and have, have art as well. But the art was within artisans. Uh, so, you know, the people that made the chairs, um, the people that made the tables, district meal works, chairs, Chris Earl tiles are from downtown LA. Like all of these people, Yuri, who did the lights at Neptune with Neptune glass, um, glass works is based in downtown as well. So all of these people are local artisans and I really wanted to bring them and, and showcase that. And when, and when OTM opened, because being everything for everybody is fucking hard. Mm. <laughs> like, was that something that you had to learn really quickly how hard that was going to be with being able to serve the theater patron, the guy or gal coming down from the apartment, and the people who knew you, your background, and yeah. wanted to experience something at a similar degree that you had executed before. Because your how previous 12 years was French laundry where people come in with a certain wad of cash in their pocket, right? Like yeah. they, they have a certain expectation and openness to trusting with the menu. And then here you are plopped in downtown LA. You're trying to feed a, sounds like to start a lunch crowd that might be there. And then at night it's all destination. Like if you don't make a pop 
people people have to drive to you. People aren't going to walk by and be like, oh, maybe I'll check this place out. It's like completely different. Yeah. I mean, we started, we started out, it was tough. It, I think the biggest thing with opening a restaurant and as a chef or a business owner in general is that you need to, you can't just go with your idea, right? I mean, that works some places, but you have to evolve. You have to change. You have to, you have to like, I, I read the guests that were coming in. I understood what they wanted, you know, like some dishes that I preferred, you know, were taken off the menu because people didn't get them, you know, um, other things like people, I know we got a lot of bad reviews at the beginning because it wasn't the French laundry. And it's like, Oh, sorry. I didn't open up the front. Like I didn't leave the French laundry to open up the French laundry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, I don't know what you're thinking, but, um, and that growing process was, it was tough, honestly, but it was, it happened fast. And I think that, um, you know, people, people really supported us and, and it's, not that it's surprising, but you know, LA is a tough city to make it. And, and I think that, you know, I was very grateful for two things. One, that the city really accepted me and two, um, that I didn't open a restaurant right away. So I moved down here and it was when I moved down here, 2013. So I'd been like two years before I opened a restaurant. Um, and within those two years I had to, I got to understand LA, you know, had I just moved here, opened a restaurant in whatever city. And I mean, it's like I lived in, you know, I've lived in six different neighborhoods in Los Angeles right now. And five of them I hated, you know, it's like, <laughs> but the, the one that I live in now I love and I love Deco Park as well. But it's like, you know, I lived in Manhattan Beach. I didn't, I didn't love it. I lived in La Crescenta. I didn't love it. You know, I lived in downtown. It was like, okay. Um, and part of it's like the location in each area. But, you know, LA is, LA is a, it's a beast. It's a, it's an amazing city that has amazing opportunity for um, culinary wise for just the different levels of food. I mean, it's like the street food, the ethnic food, um, and then, uh, you know, fine dining food and everyday sort of restaurant food. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty incredible city. You Le seem like a pretty open boss. <laughs> uh, and hearing how you had to fight your way in to the French laundry via phone calls. <laughs> um <laughs> How do you, how do you keep your culture at OTM and your other restaurants? Like it seems like you have a pretty good way of yourself, pretty mellow, and I can and, only imagine that kind of it's got to translate a little bit into your kitchen. Um, and and like we've seen like the Gordon Ramsay shows, we fucking screaming at people, mm -hmm. and like I assume every like high end French restaurant is like batting down the hatches in the back. The, the chef is like, he's crazy and he's, he's meticulous. Like, how do you maintain your culture in there? Because I've, I've read a little bit about kind of your appreciation for a balance. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like how you maintain that and how you see, do you think we're with our current, like our generation, like, are we, is there a work ethic issue? Do we, are our kids coming up? Are they like not working hard enough? Like you're talking about like some people that might just like drop a resume off and they'll come back three weeks later. Like, well, I didn't get the job. You didn't like hit me back. And then they're negatively tweeting at yeah, your restaurant like, because you didn't answer an email like, that like, <laughs> yeah. that's what I imagine is happening. Like your DMs. Oh my God. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even imagine like the amount of like 17 year old kids in your DMs that want a career, but think that it's going to start with liking your photos <laughs> well, i don't want to sound like an old fart in the room but it's just got to be like other industries where like we're of the age and people that are a little younger than us like we're a little entitled like can you is it even legal to work for free like and you're no, like you can't do it you know what i'm saying like that that whole age is over yeah so 
how do you feel about that? I don't know. Like, I mean, there's there's people that ask me, can I come and work for you for free all the time? And the answer is no. I can't. I can't. I can't take that, that risk as a business owner. You know, like if if it's it's just not the right thing to do. Even though I think it's the right thing to do. Like, do you think that I'm where I am today because I worked eight hours? You know, at the French Laundry. No, it's not. You know, I worked. I worked from five o'clock in the morning until five thirty, and then I helped somebody else until seven thirty because I wanted to stay and learn their position as well. You know, like that time was. You know, I put in extra hours and extra work. Because I wanted to, no one asked me to, you know, and I, and I had the desire to learn. So now if somebody wants to do that, they can't do that. Like, because as a, as a business owner, you can't allow them to. What worries me is like great minds like you cut their teeth in that way. And as we talk about school and every industry, not just, not just in, in the culinary, culinary arts, yeah. but like, what is, what is a four year college education, but a definitely an unpaid internship you're actually paying to try to learn where like if i if i could work for you because i wanted to be your caliber chef one day and i could work for free i would do it on the chance like i'm also working right next to someone who might hire me yeah who might tell a story to another person who might hire me Mm -hmm. like that's what is a teacher and again i don't want this to sound like i'm berating school i went to school and i loved it uh but but i think there's something fundamentally like we have to ask ourselves like that like, that is it worth right. it? Yeah. Is it worth it? I think, Tim, you already mentioned the the sheer amount of money that it takes to go into the culinary arts program almost anywhere. And there are, there are like, quote-unquote renowned programs, and there are, like, less so. They seem to cost the same. And so... Would you come out soft? Well, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if you come out soft, but you definitely come out with... 80 to 100 G's of debt or whatever it is. With and an then, entitlement for a job, and, though. And then you're trying... But, but you're, you're not a lawyer. You know, yeah, you're not, exactly. You're not, you're not making exactly. a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, like, why would you spend... Uh, how much is culinary school? 60, 60 80? It like, depends. Be a lot. It can be 80, yeah. Dude, 80. Like, guys, look up chef salaries. Like, look up chef salaries. Starting from the bottom, chef From salaries. the bottom. Like, don't yeah. look up Gordon Ramsay's <laughs> salary. That is not indicative of anything. Right? Don't look up Tim's salary. That's not indicative of shit. Like, this dude worked probably is crazy. Longer like, than I, he's worked in a restaurant longer than you've been alive. <laughs> Anyways, I just think, like, we need to work harder. And I just, I just, I'm curious the kind of people that come in and do that. Well, but And I got a question. So, is American staging dead? Is that because of the risk, the liability, now that you're on the business side? It can't just be you, right? It can't just be you saying no because of the liability. It has to be savvy business owners everywhere that if they were chefs might have stodged for free, not earning any money anywhere. That is such an insanely important part of the careers of thousands of yeah. renowned chefs is that something that's dying in 2019 or dying in general in this in this past decade yeah i mean i don't i don't think people are allowing it i really don't i mean i'm sure there's some people that you know feel strongly and are gonna are, are gonna break the rules a little bit but you know ultimately i think the majority of people are not allowing it and um you know take a restaurant like french laundry we used to have 10 people um, that were there working for free. I mean, and they could be like externs, you know, coming from school. They need to spend three months in a work environment, whatever, but they're still working for, for free. I mean, we talked about, 
you know, different, different people before we jumped on here. And it's just like, that was their opportunity to work at the French laundry, you know, and the three months that they, they spent there working for free, cutting brunoise and cleaning eggshells and stuff like that. They learned a lot, you know, they, they participated in that culture. And I honestly feel that that helped them in their career. You know, they just experiencing and being in that and understanding what, you know, what a place like the French laundry could be. Um, and it's unfortunate that people can't do that anymore. It's unfortunate that, that people can't, you know, go in and volunteer or your cooks can't come in early and learn how to butcher or stay late and learn how to butcher because, you know, because of, uh, overtime rules or legalities related to wages. It's just like, I mean, it's like if I, I was a homie at the French army, I worked, did my, all my homie responsibilities. And then I would help the fish butcher out when he had like Rouget to butcher or something like that was like a lot of small fish. And, um, that's how I learned to butcher fish. I mean, I didn't learn to butcher fish because that was my job. I learned to butcher fish by staying and like and helping. Um, and it started with scaling the fish and like you know, and it's those little things. And if I didn't have that experience, then you know how exponentially, how much longer would it have taken me to learn all that? Taking me a long time. You know, like it. It was for me. I didn't spend eighty thousand dollars on culinary school, but I spent you know, hours and hours and extra hours and, you know, in the kitchen working and then studying when I got home. Um, so I invested that time and, and, you know, the debt that I acquired were, was, you know, from not making a lot of money at the French laundry. It was, you know, when I started, I think I made $18,000 a year. Um, and I was, you know, I was working a lot of hours. Um, those weekends I couldn't even afford to, to eat. I was, you know, living off of credit cards and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a, it was a tough environment, but you know, I, I didn't have any debt. That was nice. Guys, chefs, French laundry. That is the salary, just in case you're starting to Google. <laughs> at the time. That was, yeah, 2001. 2001. <laughs> when, now that you're looking at the business side too, how important is Chef Tim's brand and the media perception of your restaurants tied to the success of those restaurants? And... I guess the follow-up question to that is be, being more open to just the media in general. Was that a mindset that you were taking when you got a pitch from a new Netflix show to be a contestant? If you could talk about both opening a restaurant and how you want to frame, again, personal brand, the restaurant brand, how important that is to success, and then where that led you into the, the Netflix pitch. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from a chef's perspective these days and from a business owner, like you have to, you have to think about the brand. I mean, there's, we have 230 seats at OTM. How do you fill that on a daily basis? It's not easy. You know, um, how do you, you know, how do you get enough to do two turns, two and a half turns, whatever? It's not easy to get people in there every single day. So a lot of that has to do with branding and, and, um, you know, the, the marketing value behind Netflix and the show, you know, is something that was, was, that was the reason why I went on it. It was, I've been approached by other cooking competitions. I wanted to do something, um, because I think that that is sort of important in today's era. Um, just how we, how we, you know, as a chef, you're like, okay, well, you know, you can go on TV and you can sell out and you can do all these things, but like, to maintain relevance these days, it's like, you know, your Instagram does need to be strong. You're like, you're, you you know, you do have to create a brand. Um, 
which is arguably more important. You know, if you're going to have multiple restaurants, that branding of you as a personality is is honestly more important than than you know the individual restaurants. And it's like if you create that strong enough brand, then then that's going to overlap and keep all the restaurants busy. And you know, that's that's why I chose to do Netflix, and that's why I didn't choose to do like some of the other cooking competitions. Um, just the Netflix value that you know, like. The impact. Yeah, I mean, it's like crazy. Like what did overnight. that? What did those early conversations happen with Netflix? Was that like, did you get pitched like unnamed cooking show, cooking competition <laughs> show, uh, going to be on Netflix, and that was enough for you, or what? What happened? Like, how do you? Yeah, how what you was the a, pitch? Because did you go to a casting call? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what was what was that process? Because I'd love to unveil a little bit. Because when we when we watched the show. I mean, the amount of talent in that room is insane. Yeah. And I'd love to know a bit more about the stories of... I'm like We produce <coughs> internet shows. We produce, you know, smaller productions. Mm-hmm. Explain, the, explain and, Jeff, explain Final Table because we're about to jump into it. And for those who haven't seen it yet, explain Final Table. Okay, so, so Final Table on. started with 12 two-person all-star duos of chefs yep. and they're basically a team. So you got these like 12 two person teams diverse in the sense of from across the globe, mm-hmm. um, cross genders, cross ethnic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. That's what something that was actually really, that mm-hmm. I thought was really cool of the show. Mm-hmm. But those duos have to then create a dish based on uh, a national dish um, of the country that's selected. And so uh, for episode one, it was Mexico. Yep. They p- have three judges from Mexico. Typically, the ratio is something like two pop culture icons and a renowned food critic. And you create a dish of whatever that national dish was. Episode one was everyone created tacos, yep. but India was different. Uh, the U.S. was Thanksgiving. Those were different. So now imagine those 12 teams, all 24 chefs worked on for an hour, worked on that dish. If your team sat in the bottom three, then you'd have to cook again mm-hmm. and you get another hour to then have to present your dish to a world-renowned chef. Big chefs. Big time where... and. Just super big time chefs, yeah. <laughs> um, and and I'm also curious if you knew about any of those chefs, if how much you were involved. But that's that's kind of like the premise. Is this show is grand though? Like it's, it's so it's, it's like humorously it's very, grand. It's yeah. very grandiose. Like and they were not they were not subtle about any of it. Like the elevating platform Bro, of three judges. judges? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> the, I saw three. First of all, uh, full disclosure: I think Jeff's seen the whole season. I've yeah. seen three episodes. I watched the first episode from Mexico. Then I watched the Thanksgiving episode, which is about. America, go America, and then the final episode because I wanted to see you win. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert again, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about how Netflix just launches shows like this and I, how I feel about it. But um, the opening, <laughs> it's Mexico. They bring out uh, there's a boxer, yep. a world renowned boxer. There's a beautiful actress and a, a renowned food, food critic. Renowned food yeah. critic. After they announce the judges, <laughs> they sit 
in this judge's table, like, okay, this fancy judge table. It's elevated a couple feet, like other shows. <laughs> cool, and then cool, this cool. thing fucking lifts into the sky. <laughs> in the air like a Tesla spaceship. Yeah, like, like a million dollars <laughs> in stage lighting. Oh, lights on these I guys. Can't, I can't. Just the entrance alone. Because here's the thing. And you guys have to see it because our description will be shit. But I'm still going <laughs> to describe it. The same place where people enter with, like, stunning visual lights mm. is the same place the chefs grab ingredients yeah. is the same place where this platform gets elevated. So whatever this creation was for the this production was so extra. But it I loved most- it. But I loved it, yeah. though, because I just thought it was amazing. Like, the lighting grid just yeah. on the show. Did it look as extra in person? Yeah, it was like pretty it's, insane. It's wild. <laughs> you walk on the stage, you're like, okay, this is going to be real. <laughs> you're like, I'm glad I chose Netflix instead of yeah. <laughs> Discoveries. Uh, like a cooking show, chop down, whatever the fuck. Um, okay, so... But so that's that the premise of the show. How much of that grant... Now that we've explained uh, Final Table, you guys don't need to see it. Um, <laughs> but no. Uh, how much of all that grandness was conveyed to you when you decided, I'm going to do this show... Because you've you've obviously gotten other opportunities you either passed on or mm-hmm. for whatever reason didn't do. But why this show? Uh, because I mean, there's a lot of cooking shows out there, and I think a lot of them throw curveballs, and um, you know, are not necessarily the best chef wins. Right? It's mm-hmm. like people are getting set up on these shows. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know that's fine. It's entertainment. But for this one, it was like, okay, this is going to be like the chef's table. You know, and we're going to be celebrating you guys as chefs. And, you know, we're talking about how good everybody is. This is not, you know, we're not trying to like create drama or do any of this stuff. So um, that was, that was the real reasoning. It's like the fact that the fact that they are, their promise to us is that they're going to highlight us as a professional. And, and that's, you know, I think they did a good job of it, honestly. The show has a very interesting premise in that there's no evident like cash prize. That's I kind of liked. I kind of liked a lot of the premises of the show yeah. because there's other ones are kitschy. Like you're saying, there wasn't crazy curveball. Like the curveball is like you have to cook with a baseball. Like that yeah. wasn't a thing. <laughs> it was like you have to cook with actual ingredients from the country that yeah. that is selected for that episode. So I appreciated that there wasn't kitschiness in that sense. And even the uh, critique from judges mm-hmm. wasn't. This is disgusting and then throwing the plate off it was actual constructive criticism always ended with a positive note i noticed that from the first every episode i saw there was positivity in it Um, for better or worse i think some people are into (coughs) just seeing people get thrashed but your explanation of it as a chef's table but competition format is very accurate because what i did like about it is as you're competing, you might see some ingredients you're not too familiar with, and then you go to the country. There's like these cutaways yeah. that go to the country and show you where those ingredients came from. A lot of other competition shows don't go to those lengths mm-hmm. to show you a little bit more about what everyone's cooking with because it's usually like they throw flaming Hot Cheetos into the mix, and that's yeah. what you have to cook around. Yeah. So so all of that was kind of conveyed to you guys early on. Like yeah, that's, I mean, that's that, why you should be on the show. That was promised, but you don't know. You right, know, it's absolutely, like, no. This is, all the, this is all what's promised, and, and you're going in there, and you're like, okay, how are they going to cut it? how are they going to edit it um and even after we finished filming you know you were still like in the dark right yeah i have no idea um and then you know i saw i saw a few clips and i was like okay like i think like i think they did a good job i think they you know they maintained their integrity as they made the show and and you know what they told us is actually coming out and true 
So I think, I mean, I think they did a fantastic job producing the show. I think it was, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously I won, but like, I'm really happy I did it. Even if I, even if I hadn't won, how did you know that you were going to get paired up as a duo? And did you know that that was the format kind of going into it? Yeah. So did you know, when did you find out who were you going to get paired up with? And because I think Eli, to your point, that to me was my favorite part of the show was the fact that it was you weren't your life in the show wasn't solely <coughs> dependent on you. you that there was a partner that you had to it's almost like you needed for, it for, for the duos that went far in the show every duo a person had to take a step back let another person take the reins because of their familiarity with the culture or the cuisine. And there, every episode, there's a person, I've never been to Japan. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm going to let the person next to me, who's at least been to New York, mm. studied under a Japanese chef or two, take the reins. And I thought that was really interesting because if you didn't take a step back, well, then you were risking both of both of your lives on the show for well, the dude's because from Ireland in the opening episode of Mexico, Scotland, yeah, Sc Scotland. Oh, were they from Scotland? Scotland, Scotland, yeah. Okay, they he had never had a taco before. Yeah, like, and then that's uh, crazy. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's only crazy to us. Like, if you think about it, you go to Ireland. Like, yeah, maybe they're not eating tacos on the regular. They, they have, uh, who knows? You know. So I I, I enjoyed those little kind of almost squirmishly cringy moments that are humane in a sense because yeah. you're like well dude what why would they have tasted a taco or vice versa you know what i mean like yeah what like i don't know i haven't had this level of fish prepared the way they do in japan you know like why would i and but there's this like our western gaze at the whole thing was very evident i was like yeah i mean it's cringy for a little bit but like why would someone from japan have a traditional thanksgiving dinner the way we <laughs> right do? like right which i thought was i thought was fascinating the I'm, I'm super happy you went with the guisado version of your taco that was tight i don't know I, were you inspired by that kind of taco here in california yeah i want to do something a little bit different um we went and ate um, in East LA and, you know, ate around, obviously I'd have had a lot of tacos. I've been in Mexico many times. Um, but just trying to do something that was the hard part is like, do you, do they want us to make a taco? You like, don't know. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's what was, was so crazy to me is that you'd have these every, every episode, three different judging panels, mm -hmm. all bringing their own subjectivity, their own baggage towards certain things, their own excitement for certain things. Yeah. And it would almost felt like there are multiple moments where you and Darren accidentally hit a lottery because they, oh, I love that you incorporated these Asian flavors yeah. in this dish, even though I'm from Spain or I'm from yeah. wherever. And it just, once they said that, oh, you know, you guys were safe because <laughs> you resonated in a way that there was no way you could predict. Yeah. There was no way, unless you talked to that person, read their articles as a critic, which some chefs had somewhat of an understanding, but there were so many decisions that were made on the fly. And that's why I really like the show because I'm, I'm a person that doesn't watch food TV. Mm. I mean, we're in food media, but it's so gimmicky. There's so many producers that are amping up bullshit drama mm -hmm. that I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. But what this show made it really interesting was the plot twists 
were based on the ingredients, were based on judges from a specific country, and that still had some validity. It wasn't just three pop stars saying whatever. There was a food critic in the mix. And then if you were on the final plate, obviously that critic who was judging your food was one of the most renowned yeah. chefs in the world. So That was actually the easiest people to cook for. I mean, cooking for a chef is easy. Because like chefs, chefs know chefs. They understand food. They understand dishes. They can kind of get grasp the idea where you're coming from. Like cooking for Dax Shepard. Dax, is like, <laughs> you know, like no, I mean, like realistically, it'd be like naming three people off the street and being like, "Hey, I'm gonna make Thanksgiving dinner for you." Oh, you're from Michigan. You're from Arkansas. And you're from Florida. Awesome. I'm gonna cook for you. Like, what do you have in Florida? What do you have in Arkansas? What do you have in Michigan? You know, like it's and. America is kind of a, a weird, a weird one to do that on because it's, it's such a cultural thing. But like, like feijoada, it's like you know their idea of what that is. They grew up eating it. Like it's, it's hard. You know, like paella was a hard challenge for us. Yeah. Like that was like I, we finished that dish and I was so proud of it. And I was, and then you know we didn't have to cook again. But like the the reaction was like not that great. And you're like. You know, and they edited some of it out, but it's like, it's like, really? Like, you want me to make a paella and a paella pan and scoop it out and put it on a plate? Like, that's what you want me to do? Like, that's why you called me here to like, you know, <laughs> with my fine dining experience, that's what you want me to do? Okay. You know, but it's, but it's true. It's like, for those people, paella means something. Like, it's like, I've had paella my whole life and this is what it has to have for me. And I'm that way. I mean, if you talk about like, you know, the food that I grew up on or, or whatever, I'm like, you know some of that food is still it's served in my restaurants it's like you know the frito pie is like my mom's chili that i grew up on like i don't think i would ever make another chili it's like the one i love um and i think it's i think it's important to acknowledge that and that that was one of the really hard parts about cooking is because when you're cooking for those people you don't really know what their interpretation how open they're going to be you have no idea yeah. it's really hard cooking for people on the street because yeah. a chef, you know all their sensibilities. Yeah. Or at least a better sense, right? At least you know that they respect the time that you've put in. You know they're going to respect your presentation even if they don't understand it fully. And I think that's like the wild card, right, of what's the the pop singer from this country going to say? Mm. Anything. And it's also good for TV if she happens to say something uneducated but slams the chef or whatever. Yeah. And that's what makes the cut. And even though Final Table was good about balancing, I think, in the final cut, there were still like, there's still comments where I'm hoping that you, they're the whole the whole teams of chefs are rolling their eyes on bullshit because like, <laughs> oh, you just critiqued my dish that you have no understanding of, but the producer, no, every single person is going to make a comment on this dish. This was your comment because you ran out of things to say. Well, that's what I like the high-low of the show is like it's so grand. It's so ridiculous. I mean, Michelin star is said like a hundred times <laughs> yeah. every episode. Uh, there should be like a meter at the bottom that shows you how many Michelin stars <laughs> every chef. It was like that's how they were building up this the the value for every chef, which we should talk about as well. But, um, but before... 
Oh, go ahead. No, but, th- but but then I found it really humorous and fun and humanizing to have people like Dax Shepard or the boxer in episode one of Mexico who literally his his defining chile. yeah all he was <laughs> judging on was like more chile <laughs> like i loved it i was i was i was like i understand what he's talking about he just wants the tacos to be spicy and have the spice yeah. that he knows yeah. and so if it didn't have that it's not a taco so like one taco was sweet it's like no no and it was like it was great i i like that high mm. low because me as someone who's not a chef not a cook you know i understand that person's sensibility as opposed to the food critic who's like trying to nitpick every little thing yeah. but i i can understand why i eli it could be a hard person to please because you don't know what the hell i'm into until you put it on the plate and then i either say yes or no it's and you're getting judged by that you know no offense to the judges but the you know the educated person the the person that writes and judges people on food that's their job as well as a person that just like i'm from that country and it's like i experienced like i you know i know the food whatever like Julio Cesar Chavez and tacos, what, you know, like I'm sure he's been to fine dining restaurants, but ultimately like he's, you know, his, that's a, it's a very personal thing for, you know, for a Mexican, like the tacos and, and where they're from, right? Like tacos are very regional, um, flour tortilla, corn tortilla, like, you know, what, what, whatever it might be. And it was, it was, it's, it's, th- that was probably the most difficult part is cooking and, and frustrating part. You're like cooking for these people and you're like, I don't know what they want. You know, if I'm going to go to Spain, Spain has like some of the most innovative restaurants in the world. They're, they're known for that, but they're also very traditionalist. Italy, I think they're very traditional, right? We made we made Mexican street corn pasta for Italy, and and they loved it. That was a that was a big risk because um, it's not something that they would normally have, you know. And sorry, in media in general, creating any sort of content around regions or nationalities is has it's like high risk, high reward. Because mm-hmm. you really can't please people in mass. So the first nine episodes are all different countries. Yeah. Mexico, Italy, boom, boom, boom. How did you feel about the selection of the national dishes just as, as a chef? Is that something that did you feel the way countries were selected by episode, the dishes that were selected, which at least the show made it seem the judges selected. I'm not sure if they did or not. But how did you feel from a fairness perspective of the dishes chosen, the cultures chosen, um, and what you guys had to prepare? I mean, as an American, I felt very comfortable, to be honest with you. And I knew that I had a leg up from the very beginning going into it because I, I cooked in Boku's door in 2009, and I cooked for 24 chefs or 22 chefs. I forget how many, how many judges you have, but one from each country. And that process, that learning experience for me, it's like if you have, you know, 24 different countries that you're cooking for, each chef, what is the common denominator? French food. Like everybody has some sort of background in French food. That's what everybody was kind of brought up on. Like you can go to whatever country and there's some French restaurant or, you know, the fundamentals of cooking, Scofier, Karem, all these, all these, you know, guys. And um, I think that, that because, because of because you know being an American, we have so many different cultures here in this country, and we're exposed to so much different kinds of food. I mean, in Los Angeles alone, like how many different ethnicities and cuisines or different towns are you know you get some of the best Chinese food, some of the best Korean food. Like it's, it's insane. Um, and I think being exposed to that gave 
gave me a leg up in the competition just being you know i'm not from scotland and haven't traveled the world you know i'm not i'm not a i'm not a kaiseki chef in a two mission star kaiseki chef in japan you know obviously amazingly talented but has he ever had a taco has he had feijoada has he you know like has he had an english breakfast like i've had except for the feijoada i've had all of those things feijoada was a hard one for us because i had no i didn't have a reference point for that like i was like this is like if you order feijoada here in the states it's it's like beans and it's it's like departmentalized you know it's not it's not like the dish i haven't seen it at least um so that was a hard one for us because i had i was like i have no reference point for this um so brazil was a tough challenge but it, it you know it was it was easier because because of having that knowledge you know it's like having that exposure to so many different cultures and, and ethnicities and food i think that that's you know it's it's geared as in being an american we're lucky i think to what we're exposed to right how did yeah. you feel about the american episode and them choosing Thanksgiving somewhat as like our national. You obviously crushed that that episode, and I laughed so hard. And then I was like, so brilliant with the you slathered your turkey with mayo. Yeah. And I was like, oh, dude, he just knows comfort. Like he obviously came from this like level of comfort in this dish, and you obviously had the upper hand in that mm-hmm. a little bit. But there were other chefs that like spent time. You can spend a good amount on a dish. You can spend a good amount of time in America and just get and pick up Thanksgiving. Like oh, yeah. that's so like, how, but how did you feel about them selecting Thanksgiving? Like, I'm just curious about that whole because people are talking about that episode too. Yeah, just like you know, like what like was that the episode? Was that the food that we as Americans wanted? And it was really interesting as Americans watching that show, hearing what chefs from other uh, parts of the world were talking about, like how they see Americans, the way yeah. we were talking about how we see people from other countries. They're like. One chef mentioned like, oh, they love bacon. Just like put bacon on there. Uh-huh. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how yeah, did you feel that, about that, that? That episode was really interesting because, you know, the Australian chefs literally talked about, oh, well, Americans love burgers mm-hmm. and they love fried foods. So we're going to do that. And, and and they did very well yeah. in that episode. <clears throat> so they weren't wrong. But as an American who loves to experience food from all cultures, it also felt a little like polarizing and like put put America into a box and like we see this all the time in our coverage like if something is fried it does perform better and people do want to see it and people do love burgers so it's not <laughs> wrong but it's like when you say it out loud I was like ah but we're we're more than that and that's what made me so excited going from the Thanksgiving episode into the final episode was like your dish is America it's not just Thanksgiving. It's not just like turkey. And like, I know we just went into the final well, episode. I but. like the final episode way better than I like the American episode. But because I think like the same cringiness that we felt hearing someone box Americans into burgers and Thanksgiving, I'm sure every other nation felt when you boxed Mexico into a taco sure. or boxed Japan into something. You know what yeah. I mean? So I'm just curious, irregardless of the other episodes, just like choosing Thanksgiving. How did you feel? You're like, oh, fuck yeah thanksgiving i've done that before or yeah i mean that was like you know i was obviously very comfortable with it yeah. it's like um and it's it's a very personal thing like it's it, it's meaningful it's like my mom cooked thanksgiving dinner for us every single year like you know it's it, it holds a special like that's the one holiday my family all gets together like it's a, it's a very important holiday for me as far as like choosing that versus another american dish if you think about it it's like okay well what is what is american food Right. Um, yes, there's regional American food. Um, 
but what would represent America as a whole. And I don't think it was a bad option. You know, I think it's, it's a, I, think, I think it's a funny, a funny dish to make um, on a show like that, but so's English breakfast. Yes, like that was yeah. like, I was like English breakfast. Really? Like everyone's going to make <laughs> sausage and, Right, yeah. Eggs, you know, like beans, toast. Like you're, like, you're gonna ask twenty chefs from high calibers to just like make English. I definitely was a little put off by the English breakfast episode too, because you're like, okay, like everyone's gonna like everyone's making their own sausage, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I guess that we're gonna watch everyone do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I, is that what happens when this show is trying to be? I feel like the most charged up, most pinnacle version of any cooking competition in the world. I mean, it's called the final table like i feel like it's the culmination of every cooking show taking the best twists and also sticking to the quality that you talked about in the beginning is where there's still the mystery ingredient there's still the judge feedback there's still oh you messed up you can still come back like all the things that we watch in these other shows um but yeah that's why that's why it was really fun and they pull that out of you, you know, like all the conversations that they're having, the struggles that they see you have, like they're, they're pulling it out. They're making television for sure. But I think that ultimately, you know, what the framework of the show was, I think they did a good job. I mean, what they, what they said it was is kind of the reality of it, you know, and, and, you know, the cooking times there, those are, those are realistic. It was, it was hard to make some of those dishes in that short amount of time um, in those circumstances. But, you know, it was, it was challenging, but it was easy. It, not easy. It was challenging, but it was um, it was done in a way that that made us comfortable as chefs. I think to be how, able to cook that food. How long do you guys film for? There's ten uh, ten episodes, right? Is it, is it like a couple days? Yeah, I'm, a month. And I'm curious too because we had talked to like a Top Chef producer back in the day. And they talk about how grueling that season is, and for people who are you know, going from the dozens of chefs to the final episode, like the travel, like all the things that are involved with that show, because it's a, I'm assuming it's a stage production. There like maybe some more controlled elements. Obviously like the production team is going to Mexico and Spain. I don't think you guys are. Yeah. What was that production like? I mean, it was, you know, I forget exactly how many days it was, but it was around, you know, 30, 45 days, somewhere in there. Mm. Um, it was in the month of November and, and, and led into December. Um, so we were, you know, we were off around Thanksgiving. People were on holiday and whatnot. So there was days that were absent. There was weekends off and whatnot. But uh, ultimately, each episode was filmed in three days. So you had, you know, the first half hour one day, the second half hour the next day, plus your voiceovers and then the third day the rest of the voiceovers so each episode around 3 days did you did you when did you know that your partner was going to be chef Darren McLean and did you know him at all beforehand and the reason why i ask is because there seemed to be a pretty strategic advantage from the chefs that knew each other that had worked with each other that what commentators mentioned as like the dance in the kitchen where there were like people found a groove a lot easier. And yeah. then for other chefs, um, for people who didn't necessarily know each other, there was just a bit more camaraderie building that had to happen. Um, Ten situations elevated because there wasn't a camaraderie. So how much did you know 
Darren and when did you find out that he was going to be your partner? Um, I mean, he, he was approached at the very beginning to be my partner. So that's kind of what they presented to me. Um, I had choices like, you know, do you know anybody else you want to work with, whatever? I mean, it's tough to get somebody to be off for 45 days and yeah. be like, hey, why don't you come to Los Angeles? And they don't <laughs> and they don't want, you know, they didn't want really two Americans, even we're North Americans, but, you know, at least America and Canada. Um, they didn't want like, you know, it wouldn't, it couldn't be me and Aaron competing, you know, against everybody. I don't think they, they wanted that. They wanted, they wanted to show so like diversity in that. So, um, I have met Aaron a few years ago at a food or not Aaron, uh, Darren at a food symposium in Ireland called food on the edge. Um, we hit it off. Like, you know, I checked out his restaurant, heard his story, started following him on Instagram, liked his food, whatever. And, um, but I never worked with him. I've never cooked with him. I've never tasted his food. I've never, you know, none of that. And that was a challenging part. You know, you go, you go up and you're, you know, you're making these dishes and it's like, I know what my food tastes like. You know what I mean? Like I know what the dish is, what it's going to taste like. And, and I know if I believe in it or if I don't believe in it. And if that person's like trying to add to that dish or, you know, wants to come up with a different dish, like, you know, you're on a competition to win. Like you don't want, you know, but you have to trust that person. You have to be like, okay, like, ask as many questions as you can. Like, okay, what is the flavor profile? How's it going to turn out? Like, okay, like, all right, I think we can balance it with this or this. Um, and that was a, that was a difficult, difficult part. Um, just the, you know, the, you're, I mean, you're shoved into this like dorm together, together, basically, you know, it's like, it's tough and there's tension. Did you get sick of him? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you got sick of me too. It's like, we, we get, you get sick of each other. You get sick, you're put in a situation like that. Like you're constantly going into the bottom three or cooking and you know, he has his ideas on food. Mine ideas are different. Um, he's, uh, he's amazing. He's, he did, you know, he did a great job. I'm, I'm glad he was my partner. Um, but it doesn't mean that it was easy, you know? And then it's not easy because it wasn't not easy because of him, you know, it's just the dynamic the situation of in yeah. general. Yeah, and and I think that that was a struggle for a lot of people, you know, and even the people that knew each other, you can see the tenseness in their relationship. I mean, that's like, yeah, you you know, you might have cooked together before or whatever, but you know, ultimately, you're two individuals. Maybe you cooked together years ago, like you know, things have changed yeah, since then. Yeah, sometimes is it almost easier to compete with someone that's not your closest friend or someone that you've worked with before? You know, like all right, this is a 45 day gruel. We're gonna get together, and like if I have to say some shit about this plate that I don't like, I'm gonna say it because like I might not see you after 45 days. Yeah. But if it's your buddy that you're gonna work with or cross paths with, mm -hmm. like it's tougher to kind of hold your tongue a little bit when need to. I'm, yeah. I'm curious. Did any was there because there was one again? Apologies, I've only seen three episodes. And I feel like they're pretty well spaced out, but I didn't see a ton of conflict on those three episodes between. And I watched ships. the whole season. I, there might have been, but there wasn't a lot featured in the final cut as it related to. I have a problem with you. You have a problem with me. There was there was some of that with uh, the New Zealand and Indian sh uh, chefs do mm -hmm. a female chef duo, which got played up a little bit. But there wasn't, like, you mentioning that things were uncomfortable, I got sick of a person because that's just what would happen. None of that comes off in the show. I mean, you and Darren in the show look like huge bromance just like the yeah. guys from Australia. So that's that's really interesting context because, of course, we don't know it's 45 days or yeah. <laughs> whatever it is with the same person kind of depending on that person, not knowing the ins and outs of 
I mean, because all we're hearing is the dialogue that makes the final cut of the show. We're yeah. not he- we're not hearing the hours of communication, even when you're mic'd, <coughs> even when you're not mic'd, all those things. So, I mean, you guys had highs though. I mean, like it, it's almost you won. Yeah, and then. And then your partner. What's funny about this show, guys, is, is you have a partner up until the last episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's, and then you're against the last them. four people standing. The two teams are all against each other. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool. It was like, okay, here, yeah. gloves are off. It's like you got to fight your brother at this point, or your sister, whoever yeah. you're going up against. But before the final episode, when you guys are both renowned chefs, was it just a gut feeling for because? You were really humble, like throughout the entire show. Um, and was it just a gut feeling of, you know what, I'm gonna let Darren lead here because he comes from this experience, and me getting in the way hurts us more than helps us? Like, how did you? Was it just a like split second gut decision? Oh, like Darren's taking lead, I'm gonna support. Oh, this is something I've experienced and I'm going to take lead cuz in almost every every episode you see a chef take lead, take direction in some way and another chef is supporting. It's not always like that, but it felt like it was a lot of the time. I think that's how they edited it. Interesting. Yeah, okay. And and the questions that they would ask, they'd be like, "Okay, Darren obviously cooks Japanese food, mm. like, you know, Darren, you're going to take the lead on Japanese." It's like yeah, I've cooked a lot of Japanese food too. Yeah, I don't have a Japanese restaurant. I've been to Japan. I've worked with Japanese people. I love Japanese food. I've been eating it for years. Like I can make it certain certain dishes and whatnot. And, and for them to to want to play that up, sometimes that was a little frustrating. Honestly, um, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you're going to take the back seat, or you're going to take the back seat, or you know, Tim, you've made this dish before, so you know, Darren, how do you feel? You know, making this dish and like trusting Tim and bubble, like it's like. Come on, you know, really, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little ridiculous, but, um, you know, they have to create some sort of, you know, what, what is the plot line, right? Yeah. What's um, at stake between these two yeah. guys? Yeah. So I think, you know, in the reality of the situation, and I'm sure it was very different between other people and their partners, you know, it's like, but there are, you know, there's dishes that, you know, are, were clearly from OTM's menu, um, and our, you know, my dishes are dishes that we created as, as a team at Odium. And those dishes are, um, are, are represented. And, and, you know, Darren had to like sort of take a step back and be like, okay, we're going to make your dish. You know, like I trust you, we're going to make your dish. And, and I had to do it. I, had, I did that a couple of times too. Um, and that was, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing. When we went in Brazil, we had to cook again and we're going to make cassava yaki, um, you know, trusting Darren to make that, you know, is, is like if if what comes out is not is not what he's describing, we go home, you know, and that's a hard thing to trust somebody in. But that's, you know, that's what created the drama for us, I think. Um, and it's, you know, it's nothing it's nothing against him or his cooking ability. It's just like, you know, he's there to win. I'm there to win as well. But we have to do it as a team. Yeah, you know, Damn, that's- tr- trust in Darren though. Like he, <laughs> he <laughs> again. I want to go back to. There's a Michelin star meter on this show <laughs> that they need to have because they kept everyone like. Oh, at one point, one chef said, "I just received a Michelin star <laughs> while filming the show." Yeah. I swear to God that happened. <laughs> um, but Darren had a chip on his shoulder down to the last dish where he's like talking about his kind of 
being a being a hagajin in Japanese cuisine. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's then, like a real thing. Yeah. And, well, because and we're actually like this is a we have a future podcast planned when we're talking about people who come from different ethnic backgrounds that still have a restaurant in the ethnic background they're not from. Yeah. And like especially in the age of Instagram and the age of the internet, mm-hmm. like you don't have to do a thing to get criticized. No. You're just name you are McLean and you do you have a Japanese restaurant what? trash <laughs> yeah. like reddit you're yeah. getting trashed yeah. wherever you're getting trashed just because there's a somewhat of an expectation at least to certain groups of people that you don't do what what your last name yeah you know it, it's crazy there's and a so, lot of news cycles about chefs or people trying to cook food from other that's like that's like a big that was one of the bigger discussions of 2018 and here's final table literally an entire show where you have chefs from other cultures cooking the food of others like that that was wild how i love why i like so much the final episode was because it was it was kind of a relief to me because the other episodes were so stressful and that Okay, here's the dish of Mexico. You need to learn how to cook a taco. And then you're going to see all the the grimacing of people who've never had a taco or whatever. And the final episode was just you guys cook what represents you best. And then for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to see some good shit here. Like there were no other rules. There was definitely a huge internal sigh of relief too because it's like, oh, they get more time. Oh, they get to do exactly whatever they want to do. And I thought that was actually a really awesome finale because if they were like, everyone's using octopus for the finale, it's kind of like, well, okay, but the Australian guys who work with coastal seafood are going to have a bit of an advantage. I like that it was like a level playing field, do do what you want. And I want to talk about what the judges said about the four final dishes. But to get in there, can you talk about your winning dish? And is it still on the menu? Yeah, it's on the menu. It's gone off and on the menu since uh, since we opened, but it was one of the, the first dishes that we had on the menu. Um, <clears throat> and it is um, black cod uh, with potatoes, clams, and burnt allium. Um, then a salad of, uh, of sea beans or purslane, depending on what's, what's better and what's in season. Um, and the dish is, the dish is important to me because it's one of the first dishes that we came up with outside of like French laundry and be like, okay, opening a restaurant. What is this restaurant? You know, all of, all of that, those ideas that we talked about earlier went into this dish. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't come down to Los Angeles to open up the French laundry. Like it was very important to have sort of my own messaging, um, and I think that this dish was one that was really well received. When Jonathan Cole wrote about it, um, he meant, you know he, he said if I were to have you know one dish, if I were to have more than one of a single dish, which one would it be? It would be the black cod. I did it for a pop up in England. They said this is a three Michelin star dish. This is really really good. Wow. Like just like there's there's there have been a lot of feedback and and the question you know it's like oh make you know what, what was it make your it's like what dish is you like what yeah. dish is most you yeah and so you know and, and it's how you interpret that for me it's like i'm not going to come up with that dish on the spot uh-huh, uh-huh. other people interpret it that way yeah you know um and i received flack for for you know doing it and i was like well you know like look at all, all those all of those guys that were were there it's like look at their dishes you know enrique Rivera, his dishes you know there's some because they talked about how simple it was right 
it's it's simple and it's made to look easy because I made it a ton. But you know, like mole, he has you know an old mole and a new mole. How hard is that? You know, it's like nothing against the dish and what that dish stands for is incredible. The messaging behind that dish is insane. But I don't know that he came up with that dish and said, you know, this is going to be my signature dish and this is why. Like I think it kind of happens. You know, it's like Thomas Keller and the Cornet or the oysters and pearls. It's like. Yeah, he knew it was a good dish and like it was but it was the one that stuck, you know? Right. The one that people wrote about, the one that stuck. I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's there's other dishes that that could have just as easily been those dishes for those people, but um I think other people define it for them. So it was a it was a difficult it was a difficult challenge, but it was, you know, it was it was relieving in a sense that like you're you're interpreting a situation and, but you're at least, at least at the end of the day, you know the, what food you're going to make for me. It was like, I know what dish I'm going to make. I knew what dish I was going to make. I knew what story I wanted to tell. I mean, the, you know, why, why am I going on a television show like that? It's for marketing, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's like brand building, marketing, like exposure, all of those things. Um, that's, you know, that's why you do something. It's not for the, there's no cash prize. You know, it's, it's not for monetary reasons. It's for, it's for brand building purposes. And, and for me to be able to tell the story about OTM and tell the story of that dish, like that was an important thing for me to take time off and go and film the show and come back and, you know, and talk to the crew and be like, Hey, like, this is the dish we made. And guess what? It's the dish that we do here. And this is the dish that, you know, ultimately one that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's brilliant. Now, you yeah. actually marketed it perfectly. Cause you, this is actually a dish you can go get. Yeah. Everyone watching home, you can go get everyone else was like, well, this is my chance to like go outside the box on a dish. They will not, ne- people at home will never taste. Yeah. Like unless they happen to throw it on their menu at their restaurant back home. But that was, that was really, that was really interesting. It was, what was cool is as the judges had seen all four dishes, they tasted all four dishes hearing it was like 12 judges from all around the world, well accoladed, well lauded. And they want a majority of them. Actually, what they showed on the show were like, Yo, Tim didn't really go out the box, man. Like, what's what's up? It looked really easy for him. That was he's in his comfort zone, and they squabbled about that. They said yeah. that they, a lot of people were like going on that wave, on that energy. Like, damn, we shouldn't give it to him because like it was good. Like, it tasted really good. And then one chef was like, "Is it not a chef's job but to just make food that yeah, tastes chef good?" Grant. And I and I was make, like, "Make is it a job to make make good food?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I'm I'm curious about your thoughts on like the post production and the final episode, mainly because the episode itself makes it look like it's a chef powwow for two minutes. <laughs> it's like nine of the renowned chefs in the world getting together. Um, some of them speaking different languages. Like yeah. it's it, obviously the post pro is built to like kind of lead up. Yeah. But the 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 plot that they were pushing through the sound bites that were used. We're all focused on did Tim or did these other people push out of the box enough or not? And then that's what was really surprising to me is like those are the sound bites that are kind of used to kind of push the viewer in a specific direction. There's like four different chefs saying like, is this out of his comfort zone? Blah, blah, blah. Even though when the challenge is to do a dish, that's you. I, I, I wasn't, didn't understand all of that. And then within 10 seconds you announced the winner and I was rooting for you personally because again I if I will never be in your situation but in the theoretical Jeff is a chef situation mm-hmm. I feel like I would have done that too 
I would have chose the dish that represents me, that I know that I can execute at a high level, that I want those nine chefs to eat. Like, I don't think I would present something for brand new for the first time to nine of the most prestigious chefs in the world. And so I'm curious how that episode played for you. And what was that judges panel like? Were you privy to their <coughs> conversation at all? You guys were obviously kind of shadowed, not in frame. But I'm curious about what you knew of those discussions, either before or after winning. I mean, they, you know, they, the way that they, it's television. So in order for them to, to sort of show everything, you know, it all gets edited in a specific way. But, you know, for, for every single episode, the, the dishes that you make are taken and they're eaten off screen, right? So, and then they go and they eat it on camera. Mm. So they, they already know what they're saying. They've already had conversations about it. The, the producers know what questions because they've heard them in, you know, in live time. And they've then, okay, like, you know, player, you're going to say that the dish, you know, is, is too easy for him. You know, like we heard you say that back there. So how, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to do that and edit that in? And, and there was a lot of that. Um, the, the final episode, I mean, they were, they were offline talking for a while. You know, it's like, the, you know, it was, it was a long discussion. It wasn't an easy discussion um, for them. You know, I don't think, I definitely don't think I won by a long shot. You know, I think that there was, you know, there's differences of opinions and, and ultimately they came up, came up with the decision on their own, but, um, it's looking at, it's looking at them and, and, and understanding, understanding what the, I don't know. They, they have to interpretate, interpret your dish and in your way and your messaging and in such a unique way that, that I don't think that they had a very easy job. Um, and then if you think about the way that the, the producers need to edit it, it's like, they're not going to sit there and be like, let's just talk about, you know, how good this dish is. Right. Sure. They need to create some diversion to be like, you know, like, Oh, it's not obviously going to be this person, you know? So they tell a little story back and forth and then ultimately, you know, they, they, and I, I think that that's, that's, you know, that's the magic of that's their production. Magic, yeah. yeah. And it's, is that unfortunate? Um, no, it's it's just you know it's it's weird. It's to me it was a little anticlimactic. It was like going in one way and then all of a sudden it went like on the show it was it was long and drawn out, you know. Um, but just seeing it, just seeing it on TV, and I've only seen clips of it. I haven't, to be honest with you, I haven't watched the the season yet either. I've only finished three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> are they the same three? Or are you watching it in order? I, I'm watching it in order. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Do you cringe when you see yourself on TV? You shouldn't, by the way. I'm just curious. Some people. Can't watch I, themselves. Yeah, I think it's like I like I think my voice is annoying and like <laughs> that's so funny because it's the opposite, dude. Um, how as a contestant week to week or day to day, uh, did you notice any trends in how the the judges were picking the dishes that were winning? Because in the three that I saw, they went to th there was no here's the best dish of the week outside of the last one. Yeah, but. Like the Thanksgiving episode was the one that was the most intrinsically Thanksgiving, the one uh -huh. that looked the most like Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the last episode was the one that was the most you, mm -hmm. right? Like it was it wasn't out of the box for the chefs or uh, for the judges, but it was you, mm -hmm. and it was done extremely well. It looked like it'd been done extremely well for years. The way that the dishes that won in the weeks prior, at least the ones that I saw, looked like they had been done extremely well for years. 
So was that the trend in the other episodes that I may have missed? Like on those dishes that won? Like was there a trend in what the the judges were picking for winning? Like was there, were, were we being applauded for going out of the box or were we being applauded for just doing the country's dish properly? Depends. It depends on, uh, it? yeah, I mean, I think everybody was different. That's a, that's the That was the most challenging part is like the first three people that you're cooking for are like you it's like throw a baseball man it's like where's it where's it gonna gonna, gonna go is it a curveball is just like fastball um it's it's very strange just to to cook for three people okay one person is educated in in the sense of like hey i write about food you know and i'm one of the the world's biggest critics and the other two people are you know celebrity profiles that are you know who knows what their experience with food is and Sometimes they're into being innovative and sometimes they're not. And, yeah. and that was difficult when you come, when you come to the, to the second half of the show where you're cooking for the, for the, the chef, you know, and they give you the mystery ingredient for the most part, you know, you're doing, everybody's making stuff that they've already made before, you know, maybe they haven't made the whole dish together, but you know, all the components are like, it's not like, Oh, let's try this for the first time today. <laughs> see how that works out for us so yeah. you know so you, you know you you see it and it's but that was a lot that was a lot easier you know like making a taco or making feijoada or making english breakfast was not as easy as like hey make an english pea dish you know or make an egg dish or make a you know like those were like oh okay eggs like you know that's easy. everyone in that room should be able to do that. yeah what was the netflix effect mm -hmm. like on OTM, on you and your personal brand, because obviously you chose Netflix, yeah. went that route. And I'm curious in two parts, one in general, and then two, because the Netflix effect is they just launched an entire competitive show in one drop. All 10 episodes are available for you immediately, as opposed to how other networks distribute it. You have every week, one day of the week, the episode launches, they, everyone goes to work the next day, gets to talk about it bloggers and writers get to dissect every episode yeah. talk about your restaurant week to week to week and you as the winner of the show you're on the show the longest the star of that show so you have the most to benefit and gain from one way or the other and i'm just curious how it affects like would you, knowing what happened would you rather it be a show that launches week to week or do you like how it happened and because eli and i debated this before yeah. the show right because yeah. eli's like well, week to week, you're getting, you know, I don't know, 50 publications across the nation that are like following the week to week, doing their episode recaps yeah. and whatever. This is the drama that went down every time <laughs> you get mentioned, the restaurant gets mentioned, et cetera, et cetera, versus when it's on Netflix, there seems to be kind of like a singular wave of, well, this show is now live, so TV reviewers Esque, start talking about it. Well, it's hard to review shows like that because right now we're talking about it. There are people that might not have seen the show. We're in the middle of it. We just fucked it up for them. <laughs> they know you're the winner. Like yeah. so, how, how, how? But business wise, is it? What's that effect? What's the splash like? Then we'll talk about if you like how that works okay. as a consumer. So business wise, um, yeah, it's definitely affecting the restaurants. Definitely affecting my brand. Um, the exposure. Um, you know, if I. Before I would get recognized like in the culinary world, if I go into different restaurants or, you know, like, you know, if, if you, you know, know, know about the French laundry, it needs like, you know, it's, I would, I would be recognized 
now, like fine, from a fine dining perspective, you'd be recognized yeah. in those circles. Like right? if I go to like a restaurant in New York, you know, like it's it's likely that somebody will see and know who I am. Um, that that works there, right? Like not the diners necessarily, and but now it's like the opposite. Well, it's not the opposite. It's like it's still that. Plus, it's like you know, I was walking down the casino in Vegas the other day, and it's like, hey, can I get a picture? Like you know, it's it's very strange to have that happen. Um, <laughs> it's it's different. It's it's just to be honest, it's it's weird because you just kind of always have to be paying attention to what you're doing and beyond, and like you know, like making sure that you're representative what you want to represent and yeah and i think that that's that's a good thing it's it's a challenging thing but it's a good thing um and then as far as the the way that they chose to launch it i you know it's netflix it, yeah there's there's not like a right or wrong it's like right. you know what yeah, i mean yeah. like which which one you know which one do you think would do better i don't know every single show that i watch right now is not a, i don't watch one week to week show sure at all like i if it's something it's you know it's like i can watch season one two two three you know each episode and that's just the way that i personally watch tv um it was weird on a, from a media perspective it's been a little strange because at the beginning you know it's like okay you're on the show yeah i was on the show you know how much traction can you get you know media and press wise because they're not announcing that you won the show you know, i think this is like actually one of the first things that i'm actually talking about like winning the show yeah so. you know and so i hadn't you know it, it, it's I don't know it's been it creates it creates a a system or, or a, a method in which is not it's not what we're used to I don't think you know well, it's it, like it's not if if you were to say should they launch it you know and and ten different weeks how would that affect the restaurant differently would it affect it more arguably yes right you're spreading the exposure over a over longer, longer period, period of time yeah. Um, but you know when they when they aired the episode and ten hours later when somebody was saying congratulations you're like what like yeah. <laughs> do you have a job <laughs> <laughs> well and that's because because that's the Netflix argument and we Food Beast hasn't had a show on network but we've been a a part of multiple pilots and it's one of these things where you're picking a horse in the race right you're kind of like does this production company make sense? Are they going to represent Food Beast in the right way? What relationships with networks do they have? And typically in the past, it's been like straight TV, network specific. Mm -hmm. And then the net, but the Netflix effect on the counterpoint is I mean, Netflix released data for Bird Box that 45 million people watched that movie in seven so, days. In seven days. So if we did the math, like that's a nine hundred million dollar movie if it, if tickets are averaged at twenty bucks or whatever yeah. it is, and that becomes immediately one of the top grossing films of this year, if not the decade. If you compare it to, again, yeah. they're not apples to apples, right. so I don't want to. It's not nine hundred million dollars, <laughs> yeah. but it's but the amount of impact is crazy. Yeah. And again, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know about Sandra Bullock, whatever. From what I understand, it's a B movie. So, like, when a B movie can do like Titanic numbers, <laughs> like that's pretty crazy. And so, I think the impact. I'm really curious how it happens over time because there's so much content on Netflix right now that even though Final Table to me is in the top tier of content on the platform, when do you get to it? 
Yeah. Maybe it's in 12 months from now. Yeah. Maybe it's in 18 months from now. Maybe it's tomorrow because you're trying to get inspired. Like Netflix is such a weird beast that even though it may not have week to week impact in the same way Top Chef or anything did. Yeah. Maybe it brings you more longevity impact though because I, I it's mean, the cooking show on Netflix. I mean, there's other cooking shows, but to me, it's the cooking, cooking show. competition. It's the best. I've seen some others. And I didn't really like them, but this one I like. But I have to draw a line of sand. I feel if this show was launched week to week, it would be better for for Tim, for you, for for the show itself. It'd be better for Food Beast because we, we would be something to talk about we, week to week. Yeah. and and that's what we want as media, right? But it's specifically a competition show. Now. Uh, Game of Thrones, launch it all at once. Like as a consumer, I want to see that shit all at once. I love it. Ooh, I want it. Like whatever. I can still talk about it week to week. But a competition show because you want to give the contestants their due worth and their due respect week to week, and you can't do that if you're trained from the platform to watch it all at once. I watched three episodes last night, back to back to back. And I had no one to I had, process. I had no one to have a conversation about yeah. what happened. Now, like all the things you were thinking about that were interesting are now forced out of your brain because you're now watching the next episode. Now, I mean, you got the best end of that stick. At the end of the day, I'm gonna forget about the other contestants. I'm gonna remember you. Frankly, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, that's that's what's gonna happen because I like other people will binge it and remember that there were a hundred contestants to start and there was one Tim at the end. He was stoic and he won and he got it. I, I remember OTM. I don't remember a single other restaurant. I remember Salazar because I like that place. Place dope. <laughs> but I I strongly believe I think Netflix, as great as a network as it is, is fumbling on certain programming that is good content. Everything about the show is good. Everything on it is and good. And I would, I mean, l- listen, I mean, I would I would go week to week on that show and on the final table. Yeah. And the thing is, you mentioned a show, Game of Thrones, which is week to week. HBO doesn't, doesn't give you all the episodes. It, it makes you wait. Mm-hmm. The hype for GOT when it's coming, right. when it's out, yeah. everyone's talking about it yeah. because they everyone saw the same episode and can talk about it. But again, when you release all of it, it's like, "Hey man, uh how how have you seen Italy on final table yet? Yeah, are like, you are you in ep- episode Oh, you're on episode 4? Oh, um yeah, I remember that one episode where that one thing happened. It's not as it doesn't come as cohesively as when it's like week by week and you can just like cuz there's so many things about Final Table. I mean, we have an outlet. We have a podcast. Mm-hmm. We're lucky to have the winner on with us. But just for the average consumer perspective, I think you lose something where you're not as much as a fanboy or fangirl of a show if you don't have time to connect yeah, with the community I, around that show. I don't have time to follow everyone on Instagram. Like I follow you. Mm-hmm. You won. But like <laughs> yeah. I didn't have time to check if like, oh, maybe you're Darren like maybe Darren has a funny Instagram. Yeah. He's a kind of a funny person on the show. Like he probably does some weird shit on his Insta story. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know Dude, the mean? way the way Darren would stare into camera. Oh my god. I thought they were gonna like, security in Darren was definitely the most intense. like it was so funny because the contrast of him just <laughs> like flexed and like <laughs> I'm gonna win this and like 
even making comments to you that made the final cut like i'm glad to be your partner but i'm fucking kill you in the finals like <laughs> just like super intense dude and you were always just like rolling with the punches like yeah this is what i do like that was so <laughs> so much fun to watch and then in the final episode you have you have this young boyish charm about in that final and you haven't watched it yet but <laughs> <laughs> you have you have this like you're so the consumer, I mean, the people watching, you're so stoked to know you won. Because yeah. you're just like, this humble guy who didn't doesn't talk shit, didn't stare down the camera. Like, even though you've mentioned on this podcast, you're there for marketing. I get it. But you're not on there like, odium, 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 always odium. Like, yeah. you're not on there overselling yourself. And then it's just, and then again, they like plot twist of like, he didn't go outside the box. Oh, and he's the winner. And everyone's <laughs> like, what? Okay, awesome. But then it's also, even though it's a global show, yeah, it's a show made for the US. Yeah. And to have someone that like, again, represents us, like represents Eli and I, where we're born. I'm stoked, man. Like I can't, I couldn't. I'm like, I don't know you, but I'm proud. <laughs> like I like have all these emotions tied to it. I even wrote in the intro of our podcast while while you were here, I was still working on the uh -huh. intro. Like I'm like, this is the most anxious I've ever been. And like, and I was like, yo, Jeff, play cool, dog. Yo, yeah. <laughs> Eli, Eli, I literally in the <laughs> notes, I was like, deleted it. I was like, Jeff, I deleted that shit. Eli was like, this is a podcast we do all the time. Like, Step up your game, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like we just watched a Netflix show where you want literally last I watched it last night and I was like this is this is mad cool. Um well hopefully it gets renewed for multiple seasons so because I feel like you're definitely going to be a part of those if that is the case. Do you, you know, know anything like that yeah, based there, on I, mean, the I know feedback? they're casting. You know, okay. They're casting for that, but I think they're just getting everything in a row. Um apparently, you know, apparently it, Netflix waits a specific amount of time to see what the view View, um, view mission has been and then after that they're going to say like okay we're going to do it or we're not going to do it I think they'll I think they'll do it that's like my gut but I have no like nothing I'm, official yeah. but. and you don't do you have we've talked to other people that have been on streaming shows they have no idea how how many people watched it are no you idea. kind of you're sitting in the dark right no like you have it could be like the it could be the biggest thing next to Bird Box yeah. with like 40 million people watching. It could be like a million people or less, and you d you just have no clue. Yeah. And <laughs> well, three people saw it. You saw it. <laughs> I saw it. And that dude in Vegas well, saw and, it. Yeah. Well, more people than that, because even just with my lowly follower counts, like there are people talking about the show, asking questions for what they wanted to ask on the show. So. It's definitely having impact. So from the restaurant perspective, though, is there tangible, we see a bump in reservations? Is there something where... I think it's difficult to, to tell because of the time of year. I think January oh, will, sort sure. of, mm. will, will sort of be a, you know, a testament to what, the, what that business was like. But you know, December is December. It's like the holiday season. Every restaurant Sorry. should be doing well, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we had a great December. Um, you definitely see the diners that we have now, like they know the show. Like you, mm -hmm. you know that like if you know, if, if I'm in there tonight, I promise you, you know, ten people are gonna ask me for a photo and they're gonna be from different countries. And that's pretty crazy. It's like, oh, we flew from Peru to be here. 
You know, our oh, wow. two cooks from Mexico came up to eat lunch or, you know, it's like you get that we get that, which is, which is dangerous. You know, it's like, it's like, that's a, you came, you came all the way <laughs> from Yo. Peru to eat here. Like, you know, you came all the way. And then the, as far as, as far as the demographic that's watching it, there's a lot of kids that'll be like, you know, an eight year old, a 12 year old, you know, that'll be super stoked to be like in the restaurant and eating the food and like meeting me and stuff like that, which is like really cute. You know, it's like, I love, I mean, I love my family and, you know, I love little kids and to be able to see that and be like, you know, oh, they're like, that's cool that they could just watch somebody on TV and then come and experience, you know, they can have the, the winning dish and they can meet the chef and like, it's, it's kind of a nice thing. Um, so yeah, we do see it, you know, we see it, but it's not like our business is exponentially better. We'll see, you know, January and February and March and, and the longevity behind it. That's, that's what will be interesting. I know, I know for chef's table, like a lot of the restaurants, like I know, you know, I know some of the chefs that are on those, uh, um, that have been, you know, documented in, in, in that series. And I think that what they've seen is pretty incredible. You know, the business and the return on that is, is insane. So, you know, I, I, that's why we did it. It's year three at Odium. You know, how do we maintain our relevance? There's a lot of restaurants opening up, you know, how do, how do we continue to push and do something different? And this was a conscious decision in order to, you know, to hopefully reap the rewards of, of the marketing value behind Netflix. It's wild. That's wild. How you feel? Real good. I feel good. Any uh, any parting words or thoughts about the show? You, the new restaurants. The new Tell restaurants. us what's going yeah, on what's at the popping? fields and. Uh, oh, the fields is so cool. I want to hear more about that. Yeah, tell tell me about fried chicken and the barcade. Yeah, so uh, the fried chicken's named after my grandfather, uh, Cecil Jordan Boyd. Uh, so it's called CJ Boyd's Fried Chicken. Um, and it's a, he used to get fried chicken every, um, every payday. He would get like KFC or, or whatnot. And, uh, so, um, just with family being important to me and stuff like that. And they, they asked me to open up something in the stadium. I was like, have been thinking about doing a chicken concept. And then, you know, for the stadium, I was like, okay, fried chicken sandwiches. Like that's a, that's a home run. Um, and just developing the content. So we basically tried to do it off of neighborhoods in LA, um, ventured out a little bit more than that but we have like a malibu in east la koreatown buffalo um and it's it's just specifically you know it's it's the same bun it's the same fried chicken and how do you diversify you know by adding different sauces and different garnishes inside of that chicken sandwiches so so really it's only we only serve five five items plus uh plus uh fries and banana pudding um and you know, trying trying to streamline it and, and make something that you can do, and when you have twenty people or when you have fifty people in line, you know, because um, the game days it gets pretty crazy. Uh, but it's going really well. It's been re- you know, I think it's been really well received. Upstairs, the barcade is awesome. Um, it's just fun, you know. It's a, it's got a DJ booth, it's got a pool table, it's got like arcades, it's got like game consoles, um, cool drink program, easy accessible food. It's just the the kind of place where you kind of just we want to go and hang out, you know. And it doesn't require you're not thinking about what you're eating or whatever, but you're there and you know you're gonna get good food. And you know you're gonna get like be in an environment that's pretty cool. So um, I think it's you know it's an interesting area because it's a you know it's an up and coming up and coming area to a certain extent. It's not you know you're at the corner of Fig and Martin Luther King. It's like you're not you know you're not a main and main there. 
Um, so figuring out the demographic that's going to be going there, marketing marketing the 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 fields has been has been a lot of work to be honest. But it's you know it's it's moving and it's doing really well. I think I think that uh, that you know I'm excited for LAFC to like start up again. Um, well, it's, t- so. it's tied to an up and coming team too. So for those who aren't familiar, LAFC is like a brand new. MLS soccer MLS team, soccer yeah. team. So like you're tying a lot to it to to a brand new team, their success, and, and mm-hmm. people. Well, not and, the- and less the team and more the stadium, right? Because I feel sure. like whenever someone's opening up a concept in or around a stadium, you're going to see huge influxes when there's a concert or no. when there's a sporting event, and you're kind of working with like the ebbs and flows of that, and some of that marketing. I'm sure is when they're when it's a Tuesday afternoon and there isn't a game going on, like how, how do those concepts thrive in that, in that time period too? Yeah, that's where we, I mean, from a marketing perspective, that's what we have to, we're gearing nights specific to different people, different demographics. So we have like the, the, um, the black and gold night on, uh, on Friday nights, which is doing really, really well. Um, and we have basically the, the, the fan base from LAFC coming and celebrating. So whether there's a game or not, these guys are, these guys are fans. They're hardcore, and they're going to be, you know, they're going to be out celebrating, no matter what, you know, during the season, not during the season. Yeah. So it's cool to have them there, and it's like it's a beautiful stadium. I don't know if you guys have made it there, but it's, it's like gorgeous. it's really it's really incredible. They did a good job. Um, you know, it's one of the nicest stadiums I've ever been to. It's gorgeous. Where can people find you on Instagram? Is that where you want him to go? Um, yeah, Chef Chef Tim Hollingsworth or Chef Timothy Hollingsworth? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see him there. Uh, yeah. guys, I'm Eli at Book of Eli on Instagram and Twitter. Jeff at Jeffrey Kutnick, and and thanks for everyone who's been uh subscribing us on mm-hmm. on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the works. Um, find us wherever podcasts are, and please leave us a review. And keep Chef telling Tim. your friends, man. Keep telling your friends so more people like Chef Tim come on. Love it. I love it. Chef Tim, thanks for coming on, man. This yeah, was like it was a fun. lot of fun. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye.